Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your word. God, thank you for being the just king that you are. God, your throne is righteousness and justice, Lord God. And we love you, Lord. We thank you for bringing us into your kingdom where we will carry out your mission. God, it is you we love, God. We ask for revelation and understanding. God, I pray that as you have just set my heart on fire, God, how your gospel, God, in the study of justice has just become even more beautiful and glorious to me, God. I pray that you bring that same understanding to my brothers and sisters, God, that they may see you even more clearly, Lord. God, we thank you for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So part three in our series on justice. Tyler Fernando is doing justice. I like it. Like a six. So to sum up last week, um, we've seen how the gospel was not simply about our personal salvation and God's punitive justice, but it also includes God's restorative justice, where through love and mercy, God redeems us by destroying his enemies and ours. He establishes his kingdom, our government, through the anointed king from the seed of David. And at some point in the future, the fulfillment of times, that kingdom that God has established in the earth through the church, us through the church, that kingdom that is built on God's justice of man being in a right relationship and right standing with God and a right relationship with their fellow man or woman, that kingdom will be handed over to God the Father. 1 Corinthians 5.24, then comes the end when he, Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God and Father. And believers, we will reign with the Lamb and with the Father for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. My brothers and sisters, since now we are in the kingdom of God, meaning that we have placed our faith in God's anointed king who has overcome our enemies, that kingdom of darkness, Deliver us from the power of death, dealt with our sins, and restored us into a right relationship with God. Since we are now in that kingdom, guess what? We, like Israel in the Old Testament, who was called to be a light to the nations, guess what? We are called to be a light to the world. We are called to show the world and tell the world what it means to do justice by rightly relating to God in obedience, worship, and praise. We are called to show the world what a just society looks like, what it means to live justly in this world with our fellow man and fellow woman, regardless of ethnicity, gender, or class. Why? Because God, who loves righteousness, Sadaka, and God, who loves justice, guess what? He now lives in you if you have been born again. He puts his law on your heart, which is righteousness and justice. What does that mean? That means out of, out of all the people in the universe, out of all the people in the world, guess what? The Christian should be the most justice addicted, the most justice fanatic, the most person who's concerned with justice, with pursuing justice. Why? Because the Lord of justice is now living inside of us. We can't help but to pursue justice and do justice. That is why, my brothers and sisters, it bothers me. And we're going to get real today. We're going to say some things. We're going to say some things. We're going to say names. It, it bothers me that groups like 
Black Lives Matter, too, are leading the charge for justice in African-American communities because nobody should care about black lives more than the church. It bothers me that there are other groups leading the charge for justice due to the immigrant. It, it bothers me that other groups are leading the charge for justice due to the fair treatment of women. Justice is ours. Justice is something that we pursue. Justice is the foundation of God's throne. It's not something we're passive about, but we as believers pursue justice. And yes, I said we pursue. It's not something we're passive about. And some will say, but but yes, it's good that we do justice as believers, but we don't have to pursue justice. I mean, think about the Good Samaritan. He didn't pursue justice. He was just going on his merry little way, and he sees a man laid on, on the side of the ground, and he's beaten up, and he, he goes and he helps the man. That's, that's justice, but um, as far as us actually going out and pursuing justice, that, that's a whole another story. I see if justice comes, or if I see an injustice right in my face, and then yes, I will do something, I'm going to say something, but as far as me actively taking a role and going out and doing something, that's a, another different story. And if that is you, I would say like, oh, oh man, think about the cross. Question, was the, was the cross of Jesus Christ, was it passive or active? When, when, when Jesus Christ went on the cross for us, to carry out God's retributive justice and uh, atoning and paying for our sins, let act or passive. Or when Jesus went to the cross to show God's restorative justice and conquering our enemies and dealing with our sin and dealing with that, what, was that, was that passive or active? When he came and rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred to us to the beloved kingdom of his dear son, Colossians 1.13, was that, was that passive or active? And that was the reason last week why I was trying to show you that gospel was bigger than just you and I. It was more than just Jesus conquering our sin, but he was delivering us from the domain of darkness, as Colossians tells us, and bringing us into the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians says, of the Father. So when God did that, or when Jesus did that at the cross, that justice, was it passive or active? It was active. So listen, as if God or the triune God was just walking around the universe and just happened to bump into earth and say, well, they need help down there. It, it wasn't passive like that. It wasn't as if Jesus went to the cross and God was kind of improvising, trying to figure out what to do. No. The gospel, the cross, all of that was intentional. That was God actively going and pursuing justice. It was God leaving the 99 for the one. That is, that is active. Leaving the 99 for the one. See, God's seen us in our brokenness. He's seen us in our misery. He's seen us under the oppression and the yoke of Satan and sin. He's seen that and he actively came down and pursued justice. So the same way, my brothers and sisters, we don't sit around waiting for injustice to happen in our presence but we actively pursue justice. James says this in James 1.27. True religion or pure religion and undefiled religion in the sight of God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself unstained, 
by the world. Notice the group of people that James mentions here. Remember we talked about the quartet of the vulnerable. The, the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant. Remember those are constantly mentioned in the Old Testament. God is constantly wanting to make sure that justice is due to them. So James here, he mentions two of those. He says, true religion in the sight of God and the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by from the world. Now when we read this verse about James and what true religion is, we can't do this. We can't say, well, there's no widows and orphans in our church and I don't know any orphans or widows, so I guess I get a pass on this commandment. No, we, we don't do that. We don't respond like that. We, we live in a fallen world where there are many orphans and there are, there are many widows. And just like if you are planning a trip to take your sweetheart or to take your kids on a trip or somewhere, what are you going to do? You're going to go on the internet and you're going to begin to shop hotel prices. You're going to go shop airfare. Why? Because you are pursuing what? The deal. In the same way we as believers, we actively pursue justice, just like you would do for a trip. We don't passively say, oh, well, I don't know. And guess what? There's this thing called the Internet where you can find out a whole bunch of information. There's so much injustice going on in our society. So we as believers, we don't take a passive stance when it comes to justice. But we actively pursue it. If you want some practical application, I told you we're going to go there. Consider this. In the African-American community, which I'm part of, surprise, surprise, there's a large percentage of women who are raising children by themselves. And guess what? Please hear me and do not take this out of context. And part of the reason, I'm going to say it three times, part of the reason, part of the reason, Part of the reason, part of the reason that is happening, guess what? We have unjust laws in our country that disproportionately affect another group. And so many of these husbands of these, of these women are locked up behind unjust laws. So if you want to do justice, there's many rooms or there's many places where you can do justice. One of the ways that I do justice is being a part of this community, this community that that has historically been disenfranchised, being deprived of rights. One of the ways that I do justice is at my kid's school. I started a dad's group to encourage biblical manhood, a biblical fatherhood. I haven't got to do much this year because of life circumstances, but that's one of the ways that I am doing justice to this community. And if you want to do justice, man, guess what? You can join me there next year. If it's not that, guess what? You can do justice by volunteering at schools that predominantly serve black and brown communities and populations. Maybe you can be a part of an after-school tutoring program. Maybe you can coach a sports team where you're trying to provide equity and fairness in those communities. And at the same time, while you're interacting in those communities with those parents, you can introduce them to the one that has brought you there. In Tim Keller's book, Generous Justice, he tells a story about a former seminary student named Mark. And this former seminary student named Mark was moving into one of the poorest neighborhoods in Baltimore. And Keller asked him, you know, hey, Mark, why are you doing this? Why are you moving to one of the most poorest, crime-ridden neighborhoods in, in Baltimore? And the student Mark said, to do justice. 
See, over the years, when Mark went there, Mark, along with other community members, guess what? They were able to establish a church and a comprehensive set of ministries, guess what? That has slowly transformed the neighborhood. Imagine a neighborhood being transformed, not just by a spiritual gospel, but a gospel that affects the whole person like Jesus did when he preached. And so Keller concludes that point by saying, although Mark was living a comfortable and safe life, he became concerned about the most vulnerable, the poor, and marginalized members of our society. Believers, this is what it means to do justice. See, Jesus came to the broken. He, he came to the poor. He came and touched the leopard. And we as believers, we have to do incarnational ministry as well. When we become like Jesus, we go to the broken. We go to the needy. We share the truth of the gospel, and we also meet needs, whatever they may be. That's what it means to do justice. I remember for me, the, the first time I went to the mission, first time I went to the mission, I, I sat in the audience, I've shared this with you before, I sat in the audience between two homeless people. And they were very uh, foul-smelling, you seen guys, I don't know, they were talking to themselves. And I felt so fun comfortable being there, being outside of my Christian little bubble. I remember I began to almost weep when I realized that this is how Jesus was developed. This is how Jesus was. He was in the midst of the broken. He was among society's outcasts. He was going to them. And so now, when I go to the mission, guess what, my brothers and sisters? I am not just doing evangelism, man. I'm doing justice. Because I'm treating the homeless people, people in our society, people that even the church looks past. I'm going there and I'm saying, you have dignity. That even though it's bad, yes, God can make you new. That, that God loves you. That God can transform you. Look at the cross. I'm going there doing justice and sharing the truth of the gospel. I'm giving hope. I'm going to the most vulnerable. And this is the same thing that James does in James chapter 2 when he's, he's teaching the, the church and he's telling them that you can't treat our rich brother or our poor brother better than the other. James, in James chapter 2, when, he, when he's speaking that matter of fact, he, he tells the church that to treat the rich better than the poor is actually evil. And as you keep reading in James 2 on your own time, he, he begins to ground his argument in the gospel saying that because you too were poor and God came to you, you cannot show partiality to the other poor. See, we have to do justice, my brothers and sisters. And here's the thing. As you begin to do justice, what you will find is that your relationship with God will grow. So we do justice, not just because it's commanded in Scripture, but we do justice because it is a way of knowing God. What do I mean by that? In Jeremiah chapter 22, matter of fact, let's, let's, if you want to go there, go there. Jeremiah 22. begins to prophesy to the, the kings of Judah. And God begins to scold Judah, particularly Jehoiakim. 
because Jehoiakim, he was trying to build this immaculate castle, this temple, but he was using labor that he, the, the labor that was actually built in his house, he refused to pay them. And so he's being scolded for this. And I'm going to show you what the Lord says to the kings of Judah about their injustice. Look at James chapter 22, verse 15. I'm sorry, Jeremiah 22, 15. He says this, Do you become a king because you are competing in cedar, building this nice house? Look what he says next. Did not your father eat and drink, and guess what, and do justice and righteousness? He says, then it went well with him. If your father did justice and righteousness, and it went well with him. Look what he says in 16. He pled the cause of the afflicted and needy. Then it was well with him. Is not that what it means to know me, declares the Lord? So you see what God is doing here in this text? God is tying doing justice with knowing him. He says, this is not what it means to know me, to do justice, to, to plead the cause of the needy and the afflicted. It's, it's just not what it means to, to know me, to do justice, to do mishpah and sadaka. He says, this is not what it means to, to know me, to show that you know me. It's in doing justice. See, my brothers and sisters, we seek to know God in many ways. We, we seek to know him through our prayer, which is good. We seek to know God through fasting. That's great. We seek to know God in reading scripture. We go to church. That's great. But how many of us have thought about deepening our relationship with the Lord by doing justice in the world? See, in, in Romans 1.20, Romans 1.20 teaches us about general revelation, meaning that you can know God just in creation. That's why atheists have no excuse. So, so Romans 1.20 reads this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So since we can know God through general revelation in nature, guess what? He can also be known through pursuing justice. That's another aspect, that's another way of knowing the Lord as you pursue justice. Pastor Ken Whiteman in his book, Pursuing Justice, makes this statement. He says, God is among the vulnerable, seeking their good. When we join him in this, we begin to know him better because we are in relationship with him and in his creation. Why do I pursue justice? Because I want to be in my relationship with the Lord. See, this is why I believe that it's a trick of Satan to have Christians roll their eyes when you begin to bring up justice. Remember, we talked about how many pastors don't bring up justice because it's such a divisive issue. But I believe that it's a trick of Satan to have political commentators and radio hosts and podcast hosts to make you have a hard heart when it comes to issues of justice. See, they're defrauding you of knowing a certain aspect of God. So my brothers and sisters, please do not, what, do not let what people are saying about justice, about what people are saying about the immigrant, about what people are saying on social media, about what people are saying on news networks, please do not let them harden your heart against justice. Please do not let them harden your heart against the immigrant. See, I'm not going to get into policies today. Honestly, I don't know how to solve America's immigration situation. 
But as we have seen in the Old Testament text, God is adamant about the immigrant receiving justice. In a legal sense, he's adamant about ensuring that society treats them fairly, that their needs are met. So I, so when it comes to this, 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 this issue of the immigrant, I don't understand policy, but I will tell you this. I think it's wise to err on the side of the immigrant because God often did all throughout the Old Testament text. I think it's wise to err on the side of people made in the image of God. So policies, I can't get into that. I don't have the wisdom for that. I leave that to the politicians. But in general, when it comes to justice, when it comes to the immigrant, I would say err on the side of the immigrant people made in the image of God. So justice is not just something that we pursue. But guess what? Justice is also something that we hunger and thirst for. It's not just something that we pursue, but we hunger and thirst for justice as believers. What do you mean by that? What I've come to understand is this. Back in 2017, when I was going to the Sermon on the Mount, we came to Matthew 5, 6. Beatitude number four, which is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's Matthew 5, 6. But just a couple of days ago, I went back and I listened to my sermon. And when I realized that in my message, I took a narrow or reductionist view on righteousness. I realized now that my teaching on righteousness was very unbalanced because I focus 95% of the time on our own personal righteousness and right standing before God. That was before I came to understand the etymology of righteousness and how righteousness has its roots and foundation in tzedakah, which is that social justice, that relational justice we've been looking at the past couple of sessions. And so, in doing my search on righteousness, I've actually came across the New Living Translation. And I love how the New Living Translation translates Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Look how the New Living Translation translates this verse. It reads, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. That's how Matthew 5, 6 reads in the New Living Translation. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. I love this word justice because it gives us a fuller meaning of the word. And this is what I mean by that. And if you're a Bible nerd, we're about to Bible nerd right now. We're about to go into some Greek, okay? So, the Greek word that's translated righteousness, you have the NASD, Matthew 5, it's the Greek word that is trans translated righteousness is diakesumi. Diakesumi. That's the word that is translated righteousness. Now, is anybody familiar with the Septuagint? Anybody familiar with the Septuagint? The Septuagint is, if you ever, if you have a Bible, and if you look at the reference, it has an L, and you often see LXX. You ever seen that in your reference? That's referencing the Septuagint. That's LXX when you see it in your Bible. Now, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So, the entire Old Testament that was written in the Hebrew and Aramaic, that that text was translated into Greek. And that translation, that is called the Septuagint. Now, as, you have, as we have discussed in the past, or a couple of uh, sessions ago, the Hebrew word for justice is Mishpah, right? And Sadaka. And that word is used over 600 times 
in the Old Testament. Remember those words, mishpah and sadaka, are synonymous for justice. Your mishpah is more of your strict legal sense of the justice, and you have sadaka is your justice that deals with your relationship with God and your relationship with others in society. Remember, it's social, it's relational. So you have those two words. Now, that, the word sadaka, that justice, when you go to the Septuagint, that word justice, sadaka, guess how it's translated in the Septuagint? Diakaisune, the same word for righteousness in the New Testament. So if I was reading Psalms 33.5, right? If I was reading Psalms 33.5, which reads that the Lord loves righteousness and justice, it would read in the Septuagint that the Lord loves diakaisune. Uh, diakaisune is that righteousness word, but remember it has its foundation in justice. I'm not just hungering and thirsting for right standing before God, but guess what? I'm hungering and thirsting that God's justice is primary justice on how we ought to treat one another, that that flourishes in the world. See, when I'm hungering for justice or hungering for righteousness, I'm hungering that the poor, that the widow, that the immigrant, I'm hungering to see that those people's needs are met. I'm, I'm hungering that the love of neighbor will flourish in the earth because that is God's law. That is what God commands. That is what God, that is what God wants. So I'm hungering for those things. I'm hungering and thirsting that the immigrant gets treated well. I'm, I'm hungering and thirsting that the legal system is fair and just as God wants it to be. I'm, I'm hungering and thirsting that there's fairness in the uh, educational system. See, I'm hungering and thirsting for all the things, all of the just things that God has laid the foundation throughout the Old Testament, His laws. I'm hungering and desiring that they will flourish in the earth. See, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to be like Lot and Sodom. You look around, you see all the injustice, you see all the wrong things, and you just want God to fix it. You want God, you want the world to be how God made it, and it bothers you, so you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. See, if I'm hungry and thirsty for righteousness, I'm bothered by racism, because I know that is not how things ought to be. That is not how God made things, so I'm hungry, because I want to see people in right relationship, how God made them. I want to see God's law flourishing in the earth. See, justice is not just this weekend thing that I do, but it is a way of life. Pastor Whitman, again, in his book, he, he says this, as truth corresponds to what is, justice corresponds to what ought to be. So in the context of marriage, what ought to be is that a husband and wife will stay faithful to one another and not allow lust to bring in injustice to the marriage. See, justice corresponds to what ought to be, how things ought to be, how God said they should be. That's justice. Now, do you know in the scripture who was one of the greatest justice advocates good in the word outside of Jesus? <clears throat> Guess who it was? Job. Job was one of the most justice-driven dudes in the scripture. And I want to show you. Go with me to Job 29. Job 29. Job 29. We look at verse 11 through 17. This is Job's former life. Look at Job. He says, for when the ear heard, 
For when the ear heard, it called me blessed. When the eye saw, it gave me, it gave witness of me. Why? Look what, what look why the eye gave witness to him. Or why? When the ear heard his voice, it said that he's blessed. Look why. Twelve, he says, because I delivered the poor who cried for help. And the orphan who had no helper. Again, Job is going to the two that's part of the quartet of the vulnerable. Remember the poor, the widow, the widow, the, the immigrant? Job was already hitting two of them here. The one that God constantly showed his concern for, that he wanted to make sure that justice would come their way. Job said, because I delivered the poor and who cried for help. And the orphan who had no helper. Verse 13, he says, the blessing of the one ready to perish came to me. And he says, and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. So he didn't just do a little perfunctory deed to the widow, but he said he made the widow's heart, again, a part of the quartet of the vulnerable that we constantly see in the Old Testament. Job said, I made the widow's heart sing for joy. And he said, why I really love, look at 14. He says, I put on Sedaka, it was over it again, and it clothed me. My justice, Mishpah, was like a robe and a turban. Here you go. We're seeing that Hebrew parallelism. Remember, these two words are the same thing. They're synonymous. God is showing his, his, his desire for justice, how justice is great. He says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. Now, if you remember from our study last week, do you remember in Isaiah 59? Do you remember when we were describing how God described himself like a superhero? And then remember, God says, my arm is going to bring salvation. And then he begins to describe God like a superhero. In that same chapter, Isaiah 59, verse 17, remember the Messiah, what's the, one of the first things that he puts on? The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness because he was now going to rescue the afflicted. And so Paul, in the same place in Ephesians 6, 14, he uses that same quote from Isaiah uh, uh, 59, 17, to tell the church to put on the form of God. So in, in, in Ephesians 6, 14, Paul tells the church to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Job is saying he's dressing himself in that same righteousness. And Job described that same righteousness as doing justice, as being eyes for the blind, and, and being feet for the lame, and caring for the poor and the will. See, that is what it means to be righteous. That's what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We often go to the birthplace of righteousness and think about our own right standing, that I'm going to be pious and living holy. Yes, that's a part of it, but to put on tzedakah, that means I'm putting on justice. That's what Paul was saying to the Ephesians. That is the way that they were, that is part of the way that they were fighting against the enemy that's throwing the darts. That you put on tzedakah, you put on justice. So Job said that that's what I put on. I put on justice, Job says. I put on sadaka. Guess what? It closed me, he says. My justice was like a robe and a turban. turban. And now he starts describing how he does justice. He says, I was eyes to the blind. That's what it means to do justice. He says, I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. There's many ways that this verse, that that can be worked out practically. There's institutional ways that we can be eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. Some of those institutional ways is what we've already seen. With President Trump mentioning how there's been social or criminal justice reform, it's because people had advocated for the injustice that was happening to a particular group. So they were doing justice by going to make sure that the laws were corrected and changed. 
But other ways that you can do justice and be eyes for the blind and feet for the poor is, let's say, for example, you live in a neighborhood where if I do a crime, it's going to take the police five minutes, or if there's a crime in one particular neighborhood, it's going to take the cops five minutes to get there. But if I live in another more affluent neighborhood, it's going to take me 50 minutes to get there. The Bible will call that an injustice. The Bible will say you're showing partiality. The Bible will say that is a system that needs to be corrected. So you have many Christian organizations that have decided to fight against that injustice to make sure that partiality and fairness is being attributed to both communities. That is a way that you can do justice. Because Psalm 39, 4 says this, that the strength of the king loves justice. And you have established equity. Equity means fairness. To make sure that there's not partiality on different groups. So those are some ways that some Christians throughout history have done justice by advocating that, hold on, law enforcement, you can't just respond to this group of people like this. You've got to respond to all groups. And so they made sure to go and be advocate, advocates. Um, Tim Keller also talks about in his book, Generous Justice, how some wealthier Christians would basically go and adopt a poor school or a poor neighborhood to make sure that there was equity in the educational system. That is how they were doing justice. That is how they were being eyes for the blind and feet for the poor. They were advocating for people who couldn't do it. So that's a way of doing justice in an institutional sense. But on a more local sense, it's this. Instead of binge-watching Netflix, Prime or Hulu, watching a game or even going to the gym, how about you go to a city council meeting where you can be an advocate for those who don't have a voice? Where you can be an advocate in your community. How about you go there and make your voice heard? See, that is what Job was doing. He was putting on eyes for the blind and feet for the lame. He says, I was a father to the needy. I was a father to the poor. What does a father do? A father goes and provides, but a father also goes and he raises up his kids so that they can be sufficient on themselves. It's not enough to just do a good deed. But Job said, I was a father to the Needy. And he said, I went and investigated the cases I didn't know. That means Job was active to make sure that justice would be served. In 17, he says that I broke the jaws of the wicked and snatched the prey from their teeth. Job didn't just sit there. He said, when he seen injustice, Job went and actually broke the fangs to snatch the prey from his teeth. So we have to put do justice. It's not going to be a passive thing. We look at our brother Job here, and he shows how he was active in doing justice. He took an active role. Turn over to Job 31. Show me one more from Job. You're looking at Job 31. 16, where again we see the Siddhartha, the justice of Job. Job 31, verse 16. Look what he says here. He says, If I have kept the poor from their desire, or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, he's going to helping the poor, he's helping the widow. He says, Or if I have eaten my morsel alone, and the orphan has not shared it, meaning I'm going to care for the orphan as well. But from my youth, Look, he grew up with me as with a father. So again, what do we see Job doing here? He's actually raising up the orphans. So that means that as believers to do justice, it may mean that we have to adopt some kids. 
It may mean that we have to foster some kids. We see what Job is doing here in doing justice. It's not enough just to pray that the, the, the kids be okay, but Job here is saying that he's actually raising up some kids. They, they knew me like a father. So believers, if we're going to do justice, we may have to look at adoption. We may have to look at foster care. He says, if I have seen anyone perish for a lack of clothing or that the needy had no covering, meaning Job seen people who were the naked, he cared for the homeless, just like Jesus talks about in Matthew 25, just like we see all throughout the scripture. Job is doing the same thing. He says, if the loins had not thanked me and if he had not worn with the fleece of my sheep, he says, if I had lifted up my hand against the orphan because I saw support in the gates, He's talking about that judgment of court. I'm not going against the orphan. I'm bringing justice. He said, if I did that, let my shoulder fall from the socket. That's how confident Job is saying that he was about justice. Job was active, making sure that the way that God said that we ought to live, that we ought to care for one another. Remember, justice corresponds to what ought to be. Remember, that's that primary justice, that tzedakah, how we ought to live, how we ought to relate to one another, that social communal justice that we've seen all throughout the scripture. Job was doing it. He was doing it. Some would say, but Brother Jerome, that's too much work. Can't we just preach the gospel? Isn't that enough? I'll let the scriptures answer that for you. Do you remember Paul? The Apostle Paul, in the book of Galatians, he's talking about the early first church council on that split about the Gentiles, remember, being circumcised. And Paul told the, uh, the council, when Paul went to the council, they gave Paul the right hand of fellowship that allowed him to keep in his ministry. They told him he can keep going to the Gentiles. They told him that the Gentiles didn't have to be circumcised. But at the end of that text, by that council, they told Paul to do what? Remember the poor. And Paul said in Galatians 2.10 that remembering the poor was the thing that he was eager to do. So if Paul could not just preach the gospel, then we can't either. See now, remember the poor for Paul most likely meant, commentators would say, was supporting the poor Judean Christians. That's probably, that's probably the case. So, Remember the poor likely meant just financially helping the poor, financially giving them food and clothing. But there are other ways that we can remember the poor. We can remember the poor by not just making sure that they have a meal, but making sure that they can get a job by helping them fill out a job application, by helping the poor complete their residency. That is what it means to do justice. It's what it means to do justice. We can remember the poor by inquiring about their health to make sure that they are having proper nutrition. We can remember the poor by doing all of those things that deal with their daily lives. Not just the spiritual stuff. See, my brothers and sisters, there are millions of children today in developing countries dying every year from preventable diseases. From bad drinking water. We've seen our brother Donna, they were correcting the drinking water. He said people were getting sick. There's people dying all over the world from bad drinking water. They're dying. There, there are millions of kids a year dying from diarrhea and, and malaria. All things that we have medication for. All things that we, all it takes is just a pill. See, to do, to do justice is to care for the needs of the vulnerable. 
to care for the needs of the broken. And if you think that's just the church council and giving Paul wise wisdom or wise counsel to remember the poor, may I remind you what Jesus says? How in Luke 14 he invites, he tells the audience to invite the poor, the crippled, and the lame over for dinner. We often see the poor come out. Jesus is mocking. You cannot spiritualize and say he's talking about the spiritual poor. No, he's talking about poor, poor. You look at Luke 18, what does he tell the rich young ruler? He doesn't say go and sell your stuff and give it to the church. He says, no, go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Matthew 25, he tells the disciples to do justice by feeding the hungry, inviting the stranger, clothing the naked. Visiting the prisoner in jail. Brothers and sisters, our faith is just not just a little spiritual thing. Jesus cared for the whole person. We don't just care for the soul. We care for the whole person. We have a holistic gospel. Jesus didn't just heal souls, but he healed physically. He fed people. We have to understand that our gospel is big. <clears throat> But some will say, more willing, Brother Jerome, okay, I get you, I get what you're saying. But where do I start? How do I start? How do I do justice? I'll give you an example for me. For me, some of the people that God has placed on my heart personally is the poor and ex-felons. So for me, doing justice is when I would go out to YA to the, to the prison and, and talk to the inmates. Um, ex-felons that come home and, and, and can't find a job because there's no redemption in our society. See, there is no redemption at all in our society. There is no restorative justice at all in our society. In the gospel we find redemption. In the gospel we find that restorative justice. Remember, restorative justice is just when the victim and the offender are now reconciled back together. There is no restorative justice in our society. If you make a mistake, you're bad and people don't want to hire you, so that injustice bothers me. So that's one of the areas that I, I tackle, that I go after. Maybe that's not you, and it doesn't have to even be just ethnicity or race. Maybe you're concerned about the injustices done in the deaf community, or disabled people, or the elderly. I don't know how God has shaped your heart. Maybe you're burning for the migrant farm worker. And it's not enough just for me to go and preach the gospel and have them saved and leave. No, but if they're a migrant farm worker, I understand that they're likely poor, that they're now immigrants in the U.S. And we treat people who are not naturally from here different. So I want to go there to make sure that their rights are being upheld, that their needs are being met. I'm doing a holistic ministry, sharing the gospel, but also caring about their natural physical needs just like Jesus, just like the early church council Paul to we don't just care for the soul of a person, but we care for the whole person just as Christ did. We care for the whole body. That's how we do justice. Other ways that you can do justice, you can look at Dorka or Tabitha in Acts chapter 9. She did justice to the widows by what? Making them clothing. That's how she did justice to the widows. We can look at George Mueller. He shows us what it looks like to do justice towards the infant. Remember Pastor Brian did the sketch on George Mueller. He created the largest orphanage in Europe. Taught them all about Jesus, made sure that they had a home, made sure they had food. They did all of those things. He, George Mueller, he operated in a holistic gospel, not just a spiritual one. 
There are many Christians, my brothers and sisters, who are doing justice in the inner cities of Chicago by starting at the school programs, making sure that there's equity in the educational system so that all the kids have a chance to prosper. See, there's so many ways, brothers and sisters, to do justice in this society because we live in a fallen, broken world. A few years ago, I was on social media, I think it was Twitter, and I made this comment. I said, the comment was, I typed in, never bored, never bored, and there was a colon, and I put, the Christian life. Never bored the Christian life. Why? Because there are so many things for us. A Christian should never be bored. There's always something to do. There's always the gospel to share. There's always injustice in society. There's always people to advocate for. But the Christian should never be bored. There's too much to do. So my brothers and sisters, if we understand the gospel simply to be only concerned about our personal salvation and sin, then guess what? You have a truncated gospel. You have a small gospel. And guess what? The church can only become these small little spiritual sinners that are only concerned about the here and after. And if you didn't notice, that was one of the major ways that Muslims would approach other black Christians during the 1960s. Malcolm X, a Muslim, he would go to churches, wait till they get out, and let them walk out and like, see, your God ain't changed nothing. You still ain't free. There's still no justice coming to you. Why? Because the church were little spiritual sinners. That act as if the gospel had no bearing on life today. But we've seen that, no, we're in this kingdom. And that kingdom is justice and righteousness. And because we are in this kingdom, and this place has laws in our hearts that are justice and righteousness, we can't help but to pursue justice in the name of the Lord. We can't help but to do the things that are pleasing to the God since he loves justice and righteousness. See, my brothers and sisters, you are not called to be the light of a future world. You are called to be the light of this world. You are called to live as children of the kingdom of God. And because that kingdom is built on justice and righteousness, justice and righteousness become the foundation of your life as well. Brothers and sisters, we do not worship justice. We worship the God of justice. And because he loves it, we love it too. So, so as we await for our king to return, my brothers and sisters, do justice. Tell the world of God's justice on the cross and the expiation of your sin. Tell the world of God's restorative justice in conquering your sin, your enemies, seeing Satan and death, and thus making a way for you to be restored back to a right relationship with God. Tell the world of God's justice concerning vulnerable groups. Not only tell the world, but show the world what it looks like to be eyes for the blind and feet for the lame. Show the world what it looks like to break the fangs of injustice. Let the world see your light, that they may glorify your Father in heaven. Brothers and sisters, justice. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this commandment to be your ambassadors for truth, God, to live as lights in this world. God, we thank you for your justice that has come our way in dealing with our sins and restored us back to a right relationship with you. Lord, help us to live out justice as you've shown us in your scripture. 
Help us to be lights in this world, God. And show this broken, fallen world what people and how people ought to relate to God. How people ought to worship you, Lord. God, help us to live as true children of the kingdom of God. Holy, righteous, and just in all of our ways. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name.